Hi, this is Tim Lehart. And this is Debbie Lehart. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian, Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is our Sunday sermon. It is Sunday, November 6th. You know, earlier in this week, I watched a live episode of The Voice, and one of the contestants sang a really inspiring rendition of a classic song that was first released in 1966. And the chorus went like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Then the song goes on to list several different things we don't need anymore. Then it comes back to that chorus, which says that the world really needs love. That message was right then, and it sure is right today. Now here's the big question. What is love? And a secondary question to it is, How is love supposed to look in the life of a believer and the church? A few days ago, I received a text from one of our elders at the church, and he had just shared that he was reading 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter. He said that after reading it, he thought that this was how God's love was supposed to look in the life of a believer and the church. And that got me to thinking. And well, here we are with a sermon that's called Love, the Most Excellent Way. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, the author of love, Lord, show us today how excellent this really is. As we look at this chapter, often called the love chapter, Lord, teach us what it really means, what is love, and how is that supposed to look in our lives, both individually and in the church. Thank you for all of this and for all that have come to join today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. You know, in our Wednesday Bible study, we started out last year studying 1 Corinthians. We ended it this year, and now we're in 2 Corinthians. But back in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you were to study it, it would become readily apparent that the Corinthian church was in a desperate place. They were in desperate need of love, especially agape love. That was the one thing they had too little of. Up to this point in his book, Paul has spent a lot of time discussing the divisions that were within the church. And in chapters 11 through 14, he addresses some of the problems that were causing those divisions. It's within that discussion, almost right in the middle of it, in chapter 13, that Paul gives the church the solution to their problem. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. As I said earlier, it's often called the love chapter. It's a favorite used many times in weddings. I use it, in fact, verses 4 through 8 in particular, both in premarital counseling and during the ceremony itself. It's a really beautiful text to hear at a wedding. And in my opinion, there's not any other writing out there in literature that has such an expressive way to talk about, yet it's very concise to talk about love. Gets right to the point. But Paul didn't write this so that people would have something to read at weddings or so that we would have a handy definition of love. Paul wrote this to give the solution to the problems of division that was running rampant in the Corinthian church. So, open up your Bible or Bible app to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's see what Paul has to say. Follow along as I read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul is basically telling the Christians in Corinth, hey, slow down. Don't be so busy. Relax. Don't be in such a hurry running here and there to prove that you're better than anyone else. Just sit back. Let me show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is the way of love. Today in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll discover three reasons that Paul gives as to why the way of love is the most excellent way. And in response, we must be challenged to apply this most excellent way because when we do, we will destroy division and uplift unity in our homes and in our church. So to the question at hand, why is love the most excellent way? The first reason is because love is essential. Can you say that with me? Love is essential. How many of you have real house plants in your home? Well, I'm sure that you have them and I'm sure you've got a good understanding of the things that are necessary in order to take care of a plant properly. Now, imagine with me for a moment that you went to your local plant nursery and you bought a plant. Let's say that you bought a spider plant, one of my favorites. Now you're all happy smiling as you drive your plant home. This plant is really special to you. So you give it a place of highest honor in your home. You put it in your living room and give it the best view of the TV and you put your remote control even in its little red pot. And throughout each day, you talk to your plant like a new friend. You say all kinds of nice things to it. You even play some exercise music on the TV or on your stereo system, and you massage the plant leaves, clean the leaves perhaps. You read books and magazines about plants, and you even watch TV documentaries about them. You're constantly increasing your plant knowledge, and you're confident your plant is the luckiest and happiest plant in all the world. But a few months later, something happens, and your plant begins to wilt. Its leaves start to turn brown, and it begins to lean to one side. You don't understand why. You still talk to the plant as much as you ever did, and you still turn on the morning workout music, but you notice that its little heart doesn't seem to be into the workouts like before. Now stay with me. I know this sounds a little weird, but just stay with me. And one night, while you're eating popcorn and you're watching the award-winning PBS documentary, How to Care for Your Little Green Friend, The House Plant, you look over and notice the little plant is dead. How could this happen? You said all the so-called proper words, you read the right books, you gave it a place of honor, you did morning workouts, and you were even a member of the Happy House Plant Club. The problem is, you did everything except what was most essential. You never watered your plant. 
so it died of thirst. Let's read 1 Corinthians verses 1, 2, and 3 again, and you'll see why Paul is saying that love is essential. Now, you take a look at that verse. I'm going to give you some commentary on it right now. Verse 1, Paul is saying that even if someone speaks in a language of men or angels, if that person does not have love, then they produce nothing. The church in Corinth had many people who thought that the gift of languages was special just for them. But Paul says that without love, their words were hollow, empty, and just meaningless noise. In verse 2, Paul says that even if a person has great knowledge and a faith that can move mountains, and there certainly were people in Corinth who were really puffed up like a hot air balloon over their own superior knowledge and supreme faith, if they don't have love, they're nothing. And their faith, Paul says, is useless. Then in verse 3, Paul says that a person can give all they have to the poor. They can sacrifice their bodies. And even with all of that, if they don't love, then they are of no value to the kingdom. Without love, no matter what we say, think, or do, it will produce nothing. We are nothing and we gain nothing. Love is essential, beloved. In our church, in our home, and in all of our relationships, let's make sure that we don't get too busy doing all the little urgent things that we forget the one essential thing. Let's take the time to water each of the plants in our lives because love is essential. Love will prevent the issue of division from ever entering our homes or our churches. And on the occasions when there are problems in our church or in our home, if love is applied and love lived, that will always restore those who are divided. So love is essential. The next reason Paul gives for love being the most excellent way is that love is edifying. In verses four through seven, Paul defines for us what love is. Now the word for love mentioned here is agape. The word agape connotes a deep, abiding, self-sacrificing love, the kind that looks out for the other person first. And as Paul very distinctly defines love, we can easily see that love is edifying, that love builds things up and holds things together. I sometimes like to visualize love as the foundation on which the spiritual walls of our home and our church are built and secured. In verses four through seven, Paul gives the description of what love is and isn't. In a sense, he's giving us the ingredients of what goes into making a firm foundation for love. As we look at these ingredients, we'll see that the church in Corinth was lacking many of the essential ingredients, and in fact, had some of the wrong ingredients in their mix. It's also interesting to note that if we look at the life and example of the Apostle Paul and of Christ, we'll see that their mix was right on target. We'll see that their lives were a living demonstration of love. So here are the ingredients that are essential for a firm foundation of love. First, look at verse four. It says, love is patient. And we know that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Patience puts up with people and their differences. It suffers and it waits, and it refuses to give into anger and vindictiveness. Patience hopes for repentance. Patience is David with Saul, Barnabas with John Mark, Christ with his disciples, and Christ with you and me. Next, also in verse 4, love is kind. Kindness takes the initiative in responding generously to others' needs. Kindness is being considerate. Because we have received kindness, we ought to act with kindness toward others. Kind love is gentle and mild, always ready to show compassion, especially to those in need. I like what Nofel Staten writes in his commentary. He said, while patience 
puts up with a lot. Kindness gives out a lot. While patience is a self-restraint, kindness is a self-expression. The next ingredient, look at verse 6. Love rejoices in truth. Through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we possess the one and only truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We should always seek truth, desire that truth wins out, protect the truth, and proclaim the truth whenever possible. Next, verse 7, love is protection. The word used here means to protect or preserve by covering and is the same word used for the roof of a building. The purpose of the roof is to protect the contents of the building. Love is willing to do that for people. It acts as a shield to protect them from the damaging winds and problems that may try to hurt them. Love provides a place of safety and shelter where a person can find refuge from the storms of life. The next ingredient, also in verse seven, love is trust. Love looks for the best in everyone. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love takes people at their word and hopes for their trustworthiness as long as it can, then it mourns over those who stumble and fall. Again in verse seven, the next ingredient, love is hope. Believers who love look forward, not backward. They seek for growth and maturity in the church, knowing that God is working in every person. And the last ingredient, also in verse seven, love is persevering. Believers who love are active and steadfast in their faith. They hold on no matter what the difficulties are that are facing them. Hardship and pain do not stop love. When believers persevere, they face suffering within the body. They face persecution. They hang on when the going gets tough. They strive to save their marriages despite disappointment, to continue to trust God despite setbacks, and to continue to serve God despite fear and sorrow. When believers truly persevere, nothing can stop them. These seven things, or ingredients if you will, are what must be a part of our foundation of love. Now, we need to make sure that certain other things do not get into the foundation of love and contaminate it, for surely they will cause the foundation to lose its strength and the ability to hold things together. We need to remember that the following ingredients should not be in the foundation of love, because in verse 4, love does not envy. You don't want that in your foundation mix. Love does not begrudge the fortune of others. This was a particular problem in Corinth. Those with lesser gifts envied those with greater gifts. The seed of envy can lead to seething anger and hatred. And only agape love can see all the inequalities of life and still remain content with its own place. The next ingredient you don't want in your foundation is also in verse 4. It says love does not boast. Love does not brag about itself. Love is not conceited. Many in Corinth were boasting about the gifts and abilities they had over others who didn't have them. When a person is caught up in boasting, their gifts are unable to serve. Also in verse 4, love is not proud. This kind of pride takes credit for an undeserved gift. Love is not obsessed with self-importance. Love is not like the Pharisee who thanked God that he was not like the tax collector. Give a man a little earthly authority or position, and one soon sees whether he has love or arrogance. Next is in verse 5. It's very similar to pride, but it says love is not rude. Now this refers to actions that are improper, impolite, 
discourteous, or crude. Believers who use their gifts with love will be careful to act in a way worthy of their calling before God. They will never humiliate others. This was also a problem in Corinth, especially during worship services. The next ingredient you don't want to have in your foundation of love is in verse 5. Love is not self-seeking. Love is willing to sacrifice its own interests for the welfare of others. A person who wants his own way may use his gifts, but not with a serving attitude or desire to build the kingdom. Instead, the gifts are only used if they can somehow benefit that self-seeking person. That's not God's way. There can never be true love with a me-first attitude. Again, in verse 5, love is not easily angered. Definitely don't want that in your foundation mix. Some people who are easily angered let things get on their nerves. One believer in the process of exercising his or her gifts may irritate another believer. These easily angered believers may not like the style or manner in which these others exercise their gifts. This is not the way of love. When believers exercise their gifts in love, they'll be able to give one another some latitude to follow God as they see fit. They will not let themselves be easily provoked over disagreements. Again, in verse 5, here's a tough one. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Look, love does not keep a scorecard. It doesn't keep a record book of the wrongs done to it. Those who keep a record of these wrongs will harbor resentment against other believers. But love does not hold a grudge. I cannot emphasize that enough to you. Love forgives. Love forgets. And if you're keeping score for something someone did to you, say, way back in 1985, you're not practicing love. Now, I'm glad that Jesus Christ doesn't keep a record of my wrongs. He has graciously removed them as far as the east is from the west. And he can do the same for you. And lastly, verse 6, love does not rejoice in evil. Look, love is never glad when something wrong happens to others. Some get a certain malicious pleasure in hearing of someone else's failure or trouble. Love does not do that. In fact, it does the exact opposite. Now, I think you'll agree that Paul has given us quite an exhaustive list of what love is and what love isn't. Now, it's up to you and me to look at our own foundation and make sure we have the proper mix. If something's missing, then put it in. If there's something contaminating it, then get it out. Can you even imagine what the impact of this kind of love that Paul describes here would have on our homes and our church? It would be incredible. So, so far, we've said that love is essential. Love is edifying. The third reason Paul gives for love being the most excellent way is that love is enduring. Now go to verses 8 through 13 and follow along. I'll read them again for you. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's a lot of debate today as to the specifics of what these verses mean. Now, I'm not going to spend time dealing with those specifics today because I don't want us to get bogged down and miss the main point. And the main point of verses 8 through 13 is that love endures. In other words, it lasts. It's permanent. 
Love leaves a permanent mark on our lives. People may not remember the great Bible lesson you taught, the beautiful song you sang, or the program you planned. Now, I'm not saying those things are not important because they are, but people will always remember an act of love that you've shared, an ear that you've given to listen to their heartache, a note of encouragement to them, a visit, forgiving them when they've done you wrong without making them grovel, the time you've sacrificed for them. Friends, in doing acts of genuine love, we are storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where dust and moth and rust cannot destroy. And we are building up the church of Christ and making it stronger. We're also building up our homes, making them stronger. Let me tell you something. Love is the most practical thing that we can give. It doesn't cost us anything, and it's permanent. Toys break, clothes wear out, flowers die, candy gets eaten, vacations come and go, and when we get to the end of a vacation, eventually we might even forget about it. But love lasts. Love endures. Let me close with this. In the hours, days, and weeks ahead of us, let's not forget to give our wives, our children, our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ and the Lord's church, the essential thing, the thing that edifies and builds up, the thing that prevents and repairs divisions in our homes and in our churches. Let's give them all the thing that endures forever. Let's give them love, which I am sure you will agree is by far and without a doubt, the most excellent way. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.